Hello, my dear listeners. Welcome to episode 36 of Overcoming Your Story podcast with your host, Miriam Joku. In this episode, you will hear the second part of my story, my backstory that I share with Ifi Bamiboye on her podcast, Connecting Stories. So, yeah, so it's the second part of the interview where um, we talk about my life in Switzerland and how some of the things that I went through impacted me, yeah, in my life and in motherhood. It's really interesting to see how we talk about this because Ifi has so much insights and uh, she has a perspective and analysis, so it really makes it, it makes a great conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. And again, if you want to tell me what you think about it, you can send me an email at overcomingyourstory at gmail.com. So this is the second part of the interview. It's called Married at 14, part two. Yeah, so give it a listen. It's not as hard as the first part, I think. But give it a listen and just be mindful that it can get difficult. Let's let's go back to the topic of the podcast. Like this is so traumatic, and I'm I'm so thankful, Miriam, that you're sharing this because I'm so sorry. Yeah. Maybe you should cut parts of it because I just feel like for the public it would be a lot. But at the same time, I feel as if we have to tell these stories to free people. Many people yeah. go through these. No, we're not going to cut it, and I'm going to leave all of this part in as well because this. Oh, is- okay. <laughs> This is real life. And this is why I do connecting stories. You know, every time I share a story like this, you think it's so unbelievable and so traumatic and you're alone in it until you hear someone else say me too. Mm. Because for so long in Africa, particularly, we've suppressed the truth. Like you just said, you got to your mom's house and now this was finally the time for, okay, let's not talk about therapy. That's too far away now. But even to be able to sit with your mom and process what has gone on for the last 30 years, and you couldn't even do that. No. You know, unless, and the reason I said let's pause and go back to the beginning of the story is that the title of this podcast is Married at 14. Yeah. And this is what happens because your mom was a product of her own circumstances and she was fighting her own demons and she Mm -hmm. was trying to figure it out. And perhaps for her, a child raising a child, she had no clue what she was doing and she was doing what she probably thought was best. Mm -hmm. And what what did best look like for her? That's also... Yeah, Yeah. that's true. It's really exactly... Really. Yeah. You know... You know, she... My grandmother was abandoned, you know, and was really so abused that it's a marriage to my grandfather that saved her. So, and... She didn't really raise, even she had like nine children or 10. She always placed them with someone, some some maybe some auntie or so. So she didn't raise, you can see the thing. And my mother was raised by her own grandmother. She was not raised by her mother because when, when she was like two, my grandfather died in an accident. So my mother was placed with her grandmother and raised with her grandmother. So she doesn't, in her building, there's, this, there's not this notion I can take care of a child. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. So leaving us with other people, I don't think she realized what she was doing to us. Yeah. There was nothing she odd didn't, to her yeah. in that story. No. That was normal no. for her. And yeah. Powerful that you say that because again, I see this a lot. I had a mm. co- 
I hear stories every day because of the work that I do with connecting stories. And I was talking to someone earlier today and she was telling me about something that happened to her, but not long. And it it sounded horrifying. And that's Mm. why I think it's so important that we allow people to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. to be free enough to tell their truth and to own their story. Because as horrifying as it sounded to me hearing, and I don't want to share it because of confidentiality. Mm -hmm, And I'm sure she'll share her story one day. Um, as horrifying as it sounded to me, because of the work that I do now, I know that nothing is that far-fetched. Mm-hmm. Always the things that we do has a link to our childhood because oh, not yeah. long into her story, she said to me, oh, by the way, my parents did exactly the same thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, when you see mm-hmm. somebody acting out, and it, it might help us to be kinder to people, to be more yeah. empathetic to people, to realize oh, yes. that because it's not normal for you, because it doesn't, it sounds so foreign to you, doesn't mean that this other person is an alien. It means that that is their normal. Mm-hmm. And that is yeah. their journey that they need to heal from and walk through. Yeah. It's I really, uh, I really want to share this story, this story because if you go on my LinkedIn and you look at it, it will look like any other person's LinkedIn who said, hmm, she's done great stuff. I used, people used to ask me, oh, your father must be a diplomat in the UN. That's why you, 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 you're at the London School of Economics. I would just laugh, you know, um, because I tried so hard to run from my trauma by working, like working so hard, like going to school. And that was the only way I defined myself. So I just wanted to be like anybody, to have like a, to have a normal, normal life. yeah, normal life, normal story to share and just say, oh, yeah, I went to the University of Geneva and then I went to London and then I studied at the London School of Economics and I, I started working in a bank. But behind is this story and I was so ashamed of it. And I'm sharing this story, not because uh, I'm so great. No, that's not the point. It's to encourage other women, other African women to start their healing journey because it's so important. We only have one life. And even if we were not there, the right path, we can still heal and thrive and live Absolutely. a fulfilling life, you know, mm-hmm. and live a life where we are not hijacked by our emotions, where we can connect with our children. So that's the reason I'm sharing this story. And I think I'm in a position, what made me even realize that I could share my story, I worked for the United Nations at one point, and there was this older African man, my colleague, I, I really loved him, would, would have chats about everything anything everything for hours and hours per day and one day I decided to just share a little bit of who I really was to him and then you know what he told me oh my god I'm so honored to speak to you women like you they die very young with with such a story but you're here and you're telling it to me then I realized I'm like wow actually I could share this story Yeah. yeah because many many women who go through this maybe they they are not able to able to share this story or people who go through it and they they feel there's something wrong with them and they're hiding it in their heart and suffering you know and so yeah like I'm releasing getting a bit emotional but you know what is so powerful for me in your story is who you've become in spite of it even mm. talking about your accomplishments do you know how many women i talk to on a regular who can't take the next step for not having experienced a tenth of what you've been through Mm. and I'm not trying to belittle anyone's story but one thing I always say to people and I know deep on the inside of me is that greatness resides on the inside of us that we never look like what we've been through 
and that we all have the strength to overcome anything. And sometimes when I say this, that we all have the power to overcome anything, a lot of people don't believe me. They'll be like, no, you don't understand what I've been through. And I'm like, in spite of what you've been through, your story is the platform with which you can change the world. Your story is what will set you apart from everyone else because God brought you into the world for a reason and he carried you through. And like that man said to you, I'm so honored to speak to you because you're still here and you're still fighting and you're still able to withstand, you know, the ability of the human beings to withstand trauma is something that's so phenomenal to me. Even something like dealing with the loss of a loved one. How do you watch a loved one die and you can get up again and still carry yeah. on living. Think about it. But God mm. created us with resilience. We came packaged with resilience. But the choice is, are we willing to fight in spite of everything, to do better mm. in spite of everything? Somebody will say, oh, I can't get an education because my father did this to me. I can't do this. And it's funny because at, at some point I wanted to ask you, in all of this story, I've noticed that you haven't mentioned that at all. There wasn't a, a role he played in between between the age of three and 13 where he suddenly surfaced and you could carry on with that. Mm. You mean my father? Yeah. When I was with my uncle, those two years I spent with my uncle, he introduced me to my father because my father was a member of the Cameroon parliament. So he would come to the city to do like the parliamentary sessions. So I met my father. I'm very grateful to my uncle for that, actually. I'm grateful to my uncle for two things. For forcing me to realize that I was good at school. He couldn't teach me anything. No one could help me do my homework, nor the alcoholic woman, nor my uncle, nor my great-grandmother. But my uncle forced me to realize that actually I could do it just by reading. Like Just by I putting that it. book on your lap. Yeah. yeah. That's so you know? powerful. Really, that's I'm grateful to him for that. Um, even despite all the abuse, there are other feelings that you know, all these feelings can live side by side. I, I, I don't need to be like, oh, uh, I have to only be grateful. No, he also uh, uh, hit me and stuff. I still have that, I'm still processing that, but I'm grateful for this, and I'm grateful that he introduced me to my father and I got to interact a little bit with my father. You know, I only saw him a few times, but that's it. He didn't take, he tried to take us, but. My mother didn't let him. and But when we got to Switzerland, I, I, at one point I reconnected with him and we spoke on the phone. For, I think for one year, we'd speak maybe once a month on the phone. And then after one year, he passed away. So, yeah. So I never got to see him again. Like I saw him when I was 10 and then I never got to see him again. Until so with 18 passed. children, how many siblings did you have? Sorry, 18 oh, wives. 18 wives. So when he passed wives. away in 2005, he left behind 76 kids. Seven. Yeah. Like, I always mm. want to process this. Seven. Yeah, I'm giving you one minute. <laughs> I need to process yeah. it. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm not even, yeah. I was going to ask, like, you know, are you in touch with them? Do you know all seven to six? But I mean, no, that's, I don't know all seven There's six. no I way. Know they, like, that's I know the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, a that time, could be yeah. a mini village, like a mini town yeah. somewhere. I don't yeah. know, like, because yeah. of their children, their own children. Oh, their yeah. Spouse. You know, he was, wow. a, he, he was, my father was a prince. And uh, so I think his brother had 45 kids. And um, and then his other brother was the fawn or the the king of our village. And uh, I think 
if I was following the older African norms I was raised in, I would have said, oh, I went to the London School of Economics. I'm a princess. I come from this. I'm royalty. You're right? royalty, girl. Mm-hmm. Miriam, you're royalty. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I consider myself, uh, oh, the word comes in, in German, but a teen princess, you know, teen like uh, a metal, you know, like a yeah. metal. Yeah, yeah, I consider myself a teen princess because finally I was not raised as a real princess, right? But uh, yeah. But I, I'm saying German. that, yeah, my, my husband says, yeah, I, I learned German in Switzerland. Oh, wow, so, amazing. But I'm not so fluent anymore. And then, you know, I also speak French, but I don't have the headspace to be. And my, my mother-in-law only speaks German. So I make, no, now she's learned English because of the kids. You see, she's like, how old is she? 76. And she went to, to learn English, which is, which is a good, good point I want to make that it's never too late to start learning, changing, choosing ourselves and taking care of ourselves. It's never too never late. Never too really. late. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So I, I saw my father in, when I was 10 and that's it. And then we connected over the phone when I was in Switzerland. And um, wow. yeah, so it was, so it was hard in Switzerland. Like- yeah, the story is is. I wrote, I wrote a book about it. You know, uh, it's in it's it, been edited it, now. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait for your book to be published. Mm-hmm. Like this is a story and then some. So we're west. We're back to going back to the story again. We're yeah. back to <laughs> we're back to being abused by by your stepfather. Was mm-hmm. there? What happened after that? That process. Did um, you talk to your mom about it? No, I I was so ashamed. I didn't talk to my mom. My mom was, uh, she was working a lot. She worked in a McDonald's fast food. So she would come home at one in the night. Actually, he abused me for like one school year. And was the year where I think my, I don't know, my sister wouldn't come to, to lunch. So when I every day when I came home for lunch break, he would abuse me, and I would go back. I I explained yeah, that because I was going to ask where was your sister. Yeah, so she she started coming home to lunch. I don't know, maybe he did something to her, and then she refused. She would never. She would always go to the friend's house, to somebody's else's house to eat lunch. She she never came home. So I I always came home, and then he was there waiting for me. He didn't rape me, but still it messed me up. Like I can talk about it today because of the healing, because I can tell you even a year and a half ago, I couldn't like even imagine writing it down and less talking about it, you know? But so it was like one school year and the hardest school year of my life, like the hardest, even that was the hardest school year of my life because I was not doing well in school. I was facing racism. Um, the teachers were not believing me, and then at home I was being abused. So it was, it was like living in parallel universes. Like you come home, this happens to you, and then you go back to school, and then you sit as if there's nothing, and then you listen to your teacher, and then you go back home in the afternoon, and then you just do your homework. Like you know, I cannot imagine in what type of dissociative state I was in at that time. But you, were happened. you able to talk about it with your sister? No. No, my sister was like, you know, it's all the stuff we had been through. We were processing it in different ways. My sister was very rebellious. She was always out uh, with heavy makeup. She never drank. She didn't have a boyfriend, but she was always out. And my my stepdad was very abusive, insulting us too and, and many things, you know. So it was really, it was really not a good situation. And I think my brother just married him. 
so that we could come and like have a situation but yeah I don't yeah that was not a good situation for kids in wow. any way and so, uh, so after go through all of this like I can't even process what that must have been like yeah no that was yeah that was not fun like discovering racism because until then I know my story was difficult but I took it as my personal story I didn't take it as a black person so I yeah. come to this country I never had a problem with my color, you know, still don't have. Everyone in Cameroon looks exactly like you. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to work hard, you know, just being a good human being. I'm, I'm a human being. Right? I come and I'm a black person. I'm not with, I mean, the, the connotation, what, what comes along was not beautiful. It was nothing positive. And um, I, I wanted to study. The only thing I had for me, they tried to take it away from me, from me and make me go do like an apprenticeship. You know, in Switzerland, like you have to stop school to do that. And I knew I wanted to go to university. It was kind of like my only goal in life. I didn't know what I wanted to study in university. But it was that way of validating myself and they were taking it away from me. So for, for three years, I fought and fought. I went to like the little city we're in. I went to all the schools there. Because they would put me in this level, I would do so well. They would change and put me here. So I just kept for three years all the the secondary schools they had there. I went to every school wow. <laughs> in three years, and then at the end, I I passed my exam to go to to high school. You know, and the last year before I passed my exam, my teachers were so so. They didn't believe in me, so so I had a good grade and I could change and go to the level that would allow me at last to go to to high school and then university. After two weeks, they told me that I cannot catch up with so many years of uh, the kids there. They've been doing what they are doing for four years. I cannot catch up. So I should go back where I was before. I cried so much and I told those teachers, if I have to stay here and repeat this class for 100 years until I pass, I will keep repeating it. <laughs> and I did not have any self-confidence, but it's like, you know, you, you have one little thing and someone is trying to take hold on. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have that, you know, that surge of energy of you're fighting for it. You know, it's as if I was fighting for my life when I look back now. And I stayed in that class. And mind you, at the end of the year, I was the second best student in that class. So I was learning French, well, learning um, German, learning math. I was learning everything. But at the end, it worked out. And the teachers, they actually apologized to me. I didn't realize how bad that was. And then I just remember telling them, oh, it's okay. I got what I wanted. I can go to university. Then I, I just left it at that. So I went to high school, it went well. And then I was just, I didn't go out. I was not interested in anything. I didn't know how to make friends. I knew how to work, do housework and work. <laughs> so that's what I was doing. Working, working, working. So I would stay home, do my housework, watch TV. I watched a lot of TV. I think that was also my way of processing, connecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, and then after my, my mom uh, got divorced from my Swiss dad and uh, then I went to university. I was so, so broke at university. Like, remember at one point I was just drinking um, a coffee at lunchtime, coffee with milk with four sugars because with the sugar, like I, would, I wouldn't eat anything in the morning. I would drink a coffee at lunchtime. And then in the evening, yeah, I didn't have that. So I was, people were like, oh, wow, you, you have a good metabolism. I said, yeah, give me your sandwich. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, People who were complimenting me that I, I, I looked, my figure was good and I was just so hungry, actually. It was not wow. of, out of choice. Was this in and Switzerland? Was this university? Yeah. In yes, wow. it was in Switzerland. 
I always had scholarships, but like when I paid my rent, I didn't have enough anymore to eat. And luckily I was living at the time with the family and they realized I was not cooking. I was not eating in the evening. They just started inviting me, these good, good hearted people. So every evening they would just, they would cook and they would tell me to join them. So I would eat with them and then I would just do the dishes or I would play with their son. It was actually very fun to play with. And then, so that's how I went through university. And then at one point, my mom moved to Geneva where I was studying. And then we moved into an apartment together. And then it started going like I really felt a bit safer. That's how I finished my bachelor's in uh, in political science. And in the last year, I applied to LSE. And um, I was scared they wouldn't take me because I felt as if I didn't have anything to offer. But actually, my story, the way it was, I mean, they, they gave me a spot. And there were two other girls that I thought they should have a spot because they are so smart. They have better grades than me. and They're from good families. And they didn't even get a spot. So at the time, I couldn't understand it. But I think what made me have a spot was that I think they could see their resilience with all the changes and everything. So I was accepted to go to the London School of Economics. It was February well and I had you. I feel like, zero... like this is the part where we put like drum rolls, celebrate. <laughs> yeah, only I had it's no zero small dollars fee. to go. <laughs> but still, it's no small feat. After yeah, the story you had to make it to LSE, yeah. like, oh my God, you are a phenomenal woman. Phenomenal. Oh, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> so yeah, you know, um, God has his way. So I was so scared. I, I got in, but I didn't have money. So I looked for scholarships everywhere. I couldn't get anybody to, to give me a scholarship. So I applied to like 40 foundations in Switzerland. 39 of them said no. One offered me an interview. So I went there to, to, to get this interview. And then I met this man and this woman. And they told me, oh, we're a small foundation. All we can give is 4,000 Swiss francs. And I needed 80,000 Swiss francs to go to LSC and live one year in London. Yeah. So I was there like... I was an international student. Yeah. 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 So I was like, okay, 4,000 is fine. Yeah, well, let's start somewhere. So we have have the interview. They're very punchy. So why the London School of Economics? So I was like, I explained to them that it's my dream. And I explained, I don't know what I said, but I was very... uh, uh, combative to just like they were asking me the questions and then they told me to go wait in a side room they had to discuss and then I go and then they sit and they discuss and they make me come back and then they told me for the 12 months I'm going to spend in London they are giving me 12,000 Swiss francs I was I, I was like a child I was like I was like no c'est pas vrai. like no it's not true no it's not true I'm looking from one to the other like no, they were all there like yeah, you know, Swiss people, they are very calm, very conservative. Yeah. They don't show, don't so really show like, their emotions. Yeah. And, and, and uh, so they, I was like, no, really, it's not true. It cannot be true. They were there like, yeah, 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 it's true. Like, you better believe us. We, we've said yes uh, <laughs> enough times, you wow. know. So, yeah, so that's how, um, so they gave me 12,000 francs. My mother put um, her money, like her savings into uh, me going uh, to London. I had another scholarship from the Rotary Club and one of my professors, bless him, he, I bumped into him at, um, on campus. He said, so how, he gave me a recommendation letter for LSE. So he saw me and said, so how did it go? I said, oh, I got in. 
said, but so are you preparing your bags? I'm like, I don't risk preparing my bags because I don't have the money. I don't see how it's going to happen. He said, no, 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 you don't understand the chance that you have. You really have to go to this school. Come and see me. Maybe we, I have a solution. So I went and he told me that he knows of a private foundation that I should prepare my uh, uh, my application, you know, all the documents. I want to see your financial situation. And I did all of that. I wrote a letter. He corrected the letter. I sent it. And also I waited. And then one day I received like a scholarship. It was almost like 30,000 Swiss francs wow. from this f- private foundation. <laughs> oh my God. Like I was, I just couldn't believe it. And that day when that letter came, I just knew that I was going to LSE. Because like all the other money I had raised, you could make you it know, up. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could make it up. So that's how I went to London, the London School of Economics. So, yeah. But Amazing. at the time, I was so ashamed. I was hiding the story. I wouldn't tell anyone. They would be like, "Oh, we figured out that since you're from Geneva, from Geneva, your father is a diplomat at the UN." I would say, <laughs> "No, that's not it." And then I would just go my way, you know, I wouldn't tell. Because where do you and, even um, begin to tell this story? Like, where do you begin? Thank you. Even at university. You have to sue the University of Geneva. Those uh, kids, their fathers are bankers, lawyers, you know, they come there. Some of them even have Lubuta. You're there, you don't even have money to buy your service sandwich. Like, what, do you want to tell people that I was not in the mental, I was not there yet, you know, I, I didn't want. Sometimes when someone will say, oh, so uh, are you from Cameroon? So is your father still in Cameroon? Sometimes I would go to the toilet and cry. Or if someone asked me, do you have siblings? I would go to the toilet and cry. Because I couldn't Because people answer. want to know your story. Kids ask. Yeah. Everyone's asking innocently. Yeah. But then yeah, innocently. you begin to tell yeah. such a I, I cannot start. I cannot even answer that. So I, I can't. I, can't I, I found a parade for siblings. You say, so do you have siblings? I'll say, oh, my mother had two daughters. You know? And <laughs> That's all you need yeah. to know, mate. <laughs> yeah. So my mother had two daughters, you know, and then I, I don't reply to the rest of it, you know? Um, what a story yeah. of resilience. You are a very resilient person. And I, I really pray that someone who's listening to this podcast and feels broken and feels battered and feels cheated by life realizes mm. that there is hope. Yeah. And that if you're resilient, you can do anything. Literally, you can mm. do anything. That's what mm-hmm. I'm hearing from you. And I'm, you are such an inspiration. And I, I can't stop saying thank you for sharing your story with me. Thank you for inviting me. It's, I, I'm enjoying this. Wow. <laughs> and I hope, I hope it helps someone. I think the thing that helped all true, like all true, is that I always had a mind of my own. I had a mind of my own. I would take in things. If when I could, like, that I thought were, if it didn't make sense to me, I would tell myself, this doesn't make sense. And I wouldn't accept it. Mm. You know, I wouldn't accept it if I thought it didn't make sense. I would try, like one time when I was at university, so I was first studying translation studies. I did it for one year. I didn't like it. And I decided to study political science. So in in translation studies, I received a scholarship of like 10,000 Swiss francs to cover my year. And when I changed, they had changed the rules of the scholarship. And they told me, oh, now we're going to give you a loan of 10,000 Swiss francs. And then I sat there. I was, oh, I was sad. I was, oh, my God, a loan. I'm, I'm so scared. I don't even know where I'm going. And, and then I said, I'm like, no, this doesn't make sense. My situation hasn't changed. I'm still broke. I'm still fighting. Nothing has changed. Nothing is better. Why would I have a loan now when so I'm it's not better? things even more. I wrote a, a two-pager letter 
and, and, and telling them, please explain to me why you're giving me a loan because my situation hasn't changed. I'm not in a better situation. I, I don't have anybody to back me up. It's still the same. Just explain to me so that I understand why I have to accept a loan instead of having a scholarship. So the woman at the office, she called me. She's like, um, is it a, an official um, recourse like to say you don't agree with the decision? I'm like, no, it's first an explanation. If I don't agree with your explanation, then I will take it further. Maybe I'll find a lawyer to write a letter. And then she said, okay, I will reply to you. Mind you, I received another letter telling me I had a scholarship of 10,000 Swiss francs, you know, just because it didn't make sense to me, you know. So in order to say that we have to trust ourselves, not just accepting things because they are just like that. Even if it's something official, if it doesn't make sense, ask questions. Ask questions, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, ask questions, ask for explanations. You know, sometimes you're surprised. Sometimes it's like, even sometimes kids, they challenge us in that. I have my my middle daughter, she's four years now. She's always like, Mama, why? But Mama, why? With her big <laughs> eyes, she's waiting. <laughs> she's waiting for the why, okay? <laughs> sometimes I just don't know what to say. But sometimes she makes me realize that when she's like asking to play on the iPad and she's, and then I'm saying, no, 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 no. Then she said, tells me, Mama, why? Then actually I'm saying, actually, why? She hasn't played today. She hasn't played yesterday. She could actually go play a little bit on the iPad, you know? It's by challenging me that I realize I'm like, no, I'm just being too strict. Okay, sometimes I tell her, no, you've already played and that's it. It's it's done for today. But sometimes I realize I'm like, no, I'm just being, no, 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 no. no Just saying no. (laughs) You see? So, you know. Yeah, so always ask why. So at what point, just, just so that we can begin to, draw this to a close because i feel like with your story we could be here all day like yeah no it's true you know yeah. but but what i guess i want to understand is now you're at lsc now you're you know doing better with your life and being a little bit more fulfilled as to where you mm. are study wise was there a point at which you started to think i need help oh yeah i need to heal from all of this that i've walked through yeah yeah, yeah. I think at LSC, even, yeah, I w- it was already shaky. I went to see the school counselor and uh, I cried the whole time trying to tell my story the whole time. And it was so overwhelming. I didn't go back. But before, when I was taking my exams that year, before the last exam, I just had a total nervous breakdown. So I called my mother and I told her everything, like a summary of everything, all the abuse, everything that happened. Like, a, like at last saying it because I was locked up reading so much that I got totally triggered. I got like my mind. I don't know if I went, I don't know what was happening to me. I because just you were sitting in the, you, you had enough time being locked yeah. up studying to sit in the pain. And that's why sometimes mm-hmm. you find that when people turn to substance abuse or porn or, you know, sexual promiscuity, whatever, oh, yeah. when people are doing that, or sometimes you hear of a man who doesn't want to come home until 4 a.m., 5 a.m. A lot of times people think that they're doing it to be mean or because they're, they're bad people, but they're running away mm. from themselves. Oh, because yeah. It's a coping mechanism. Enough, it's a coping mechanism, yeah. If they sit for long enough, they would have to process that pain. And something that people don't know is that your unconscious mind, so you have your conscious mind, you have your preconscious mind, and you have your unconscious mind. Your conscious mind is where all of your memories and your knowledge and you know, that's where you retain information. Your preconscious mind is the next layer down where you deal with emotions like 
it's time to run fear, faith, and all of those other emotions that you don't really use a lot, but you can bring them in whenever. But your unconscious mind is where everything that you're uncomfortable with, all the pain, all the abuse, any trauma, any negative thoughts all reside in the unconscious mind. And that's where people have nightmares. Your unconscious mind comes alive. Now, when you have the time, like you said, you were locked in a room studying. Now you have to come face to face, like as some people say, with your demons. Mm -hmm. Your unconscious mind comes alive. And that's what you were describing. Yes, but thank you for that. It's really uh, nicely explained and it's very important because I had these sudden fears, like someone would smash the door and come and hit me. I started smelling odors from the time I lived with my uncle. Can you imagine? Wow. From so many years back. So it was as if I was like, going crazy because I was, okay, maybe I didn't, I, I didn't know about self-care at the time, you know? Because I should have taken breaks, go out for little walks, but I just locked myself up for like seven days in a row. And I couldn't study before my last exam. I just cried for like three days. And luckily I went to class and then I still took the exam and passed. But I couldn't use school to repress. It was my coping mechanism. As you said, people do drugs. People, even uh, sexual promiscuity, like having many boyfriends sleeping around, that's a coping mechanism. Yeah. Uh, what people shop over shopping like shopaholics that's a coping mechanism to control and work that was me you know and there I didn't have control anymore because when I was feeling too much emotional pain I would just open my book and as soon as I start reading I would forget about the pain but it was just it, it didn't go away it was just a way Temporary of fix yeah yeah hyper focusing my mind and then forgetting about what was wrong but when school was finished, I was totally destabilized because I didn't have school anymore. So what am I going to do? And then starting in the workplace, you know, it's like starting from the bottom. It's like you build yourself, you go right up to university, you graduate. And then I graduated in 2009. So after the economic crisis in 2008, and I couldn't find work. And then the work that I found, I was so ashamed of it. I was like, it was not like school. I didn't feel validated. I didn't feel I was right in my place. And there I went into depression, you know, all the, all the yeah, things I, I have been running from. that severe depression. Yeah. Yeah. Severe depression where I just like, I didn't even know it was a depression. I just, I didn't find anything so interesting anymore. And at the time I had my first apartment, like, you know, I was, I was working, earning money. Like I felt safe in my own space that uh, I curated for myself. You know, I felt at last felt. Uh, safe and then I met uh, not long after I met uh, my husband then boyfriend and but I was still then I started going to therapy you know I saw a therapist yeah yeah I found luckily I found someone she was young she was just doing one year abroad she was a Greek woman doing one year abroad in Switzerland and she was so good she helped me so much like sometimes we were like fighting she'll be like I want you to ask your mother in what circumstances you were born. Mind you, for the longest time, I was so afraid to ask my mother that because I just felt, I was sure she would say, she would tell me and I would realize that she never wanted me. So I was like, I was like, no, I cannot ask her that. She was like, you will go and ask her. So we're there like screaming at each other. (laughs) Then finally I asked my mother and then she explained to me and everything. And then actually I felt a lot of relief, you know, because I realized that, okay, the situation was imposed on her, but 
it's not that she didn't want me. It, she cooked the best she could. But, you know, it was not about me, actually. It was She was her fighting story. for her life. She was, yeah, she was fighting for her life, you know. And so it really, it was like a huge weight of my shoulders to know that. But then after this woman, she went back to her country and I had a hard time finding the right therapist for me. And that happens too with trauma because sometimes people just want to fix the anxiety and the depression, but on a surface level to just make you function, yeah. you go back to work and stuff. But you know that because the, the roots of it, of hasn't this depression and anxiety with. hasn't been there. It's all this trauma, all this uh, emotional uh, luggage and baggage yeah. I carry along with me. So I just kept going to therapy. And when I had kids, that was very, very triggering because that's when all the stuff came up when I had my first daughter, because I think I was afraid of what would I transmit to my daughter from my story? Will I abandon my child? Uh, what would happen to me? Something bad could happen to my child. So I was very scared when I gave birth. And actually I had postpartum depression, three pregnancies, three times postpartum depression. And, but only the third time I, I asked for help. So the first two times, the first time I didn't understand what was happening. The second time, maybe I understood, but I felt guilt that I was not that happy mom immediately, like we say in the movies and everything. And the third time I knew better, I knew that, okay, some women have a hard time. Okay, the first six weeks, we you have the whole month uh, trying to go back to place. Yeah. And then, you know, but the third time I asked for help. Immediately when I started my prenatal visits, I told my doctor that I had been through postpartum depression. So I was seeing a, there was a program. I was in Toronto at the time in Canada. There was a program for women who had been through trauma and who were pregnant. So I was already seeing a specialized um, trauma psychiatrist. I was seeing a therapist. I was seeing a social worker, you know. So I was really like... Sorry, did you say trauma psychiatrist? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Trauma psychiatrist, a therapist, a talk therapist. And when I went for my prenatal appointment, I actually saw a social worker just to check in to see if everything was going okay. So it went better. And um, when I gave birth, they put me in a private room because I had been through uh, postpartum depression before. So they, so they asked me if I would like to stay in the hospital in a private room by myself, which I really preferred. But, you know, normally you have to pay, but because of that, they have a program. You just have to speak up, like say something, wow. you know. Okay. Just say it and you never know. I wouldn't have known they had this program that if you've been through depression, they would actually make you ask you to stay at the hospital if you wanted. And in the night, they would take the baby from midnight to 6 a.m. so that I could sleep. And it was a game changer in my life. Those first few days that I could sleep, wow. And I was induced over you many know, days. You so. know, it's interesting you say that because even I didn't have postpartum depression but I had my first daughter here in the UK and I had my my second child my son in Singapore both times mm. I had planned cesareans because I, I had fibroids and I had some some issues but the two births were not the same because of the care that I received in Singapore it was a private hospital I had a private room in fact I like to say I had a hotel I give birth in a hotel <laughs> Even though I had cesarean, I didn't feel any pain because the nurses were on like clockwork, like take care of me. I think they must have timed it such that they know this is when the pain wears off. It was nothing. My experience in the UK was horrible. 
But you know what you just said about the baby? You took me back again because they always came and took the baby away at night Mm -hmm. and brought the baby back in the morning. So for the first few days, I bonded. They made sure you bonded with the child, you were Mm -hmm. with the child and all that. Whenever you wanted the child during, and even during the day, they'll take the child away. Whenever Mm -hmm. you wanted the child again, they'll bring the baby back and all that. So you never felt like someone had stolen your child but I could sleep. Like yeah. I left the hospital feeling refreshed. Yeah. Feeling <sighs> there, feeling, oh my, I'm here, right? Uh, yeah. It's, even just the first night after, like I was induced over like two days. So I was so tired that the first night when they took the baby away and I slept, I woke up, I felt like a human being. I was like, oh my, thank God. Like, yeah. wow, this is this is such a <laughs> gift. I don't see it. Such a yet. gift. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I was very, very grateful uh, for, for those five days, you know, and uh, to just adjust before I could go back uh, home to my daughters. And my mother was there in Toronto, too. So it was uh, very helpful. It was very easy for me. Like she could take care of my first two daughters while I, you know, yeah. got into this. And I think uh, it's so powerful. Like I pray. I know it's not easy. Like it's not everyone who has the opportunity to have the care. But like you said, that people speak up. If you're struggling, ask for help and try to always be intentional about creating a community around you. Because this whole idea of, I think it's a Western thing where you have a child and you're all by yourself and you're, you Mm. know, take doing everything by yourself. And so many women are depressed, but you can't even talk about it because it's almost shameful to say, I mean, you had a child and you're depressed. What does that even mean? Yeah. Yeah. So you feel like you're not a good mother. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The first two times, I think it was just me and my spouse, like struggling, trying to do everything. But the third time, so my mother came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She helped me a lot with the, uh, with taking care of the bigger ones. And uh, yeah, it was totally different. And um, we should ask for help. It's okay to, to struggle, especially when we have so much inside. It's okay, you know. It doesn't mean we are bad parents. I'm saying this now. This is not how I experienced it the first, uh, even the second time. But it doesn't mean we are bad parents because we struggle, you know. Yeah, not and, at all. Uh, this is this is for all women, even. Uh, you even know? if you're not dealing with with depression, yeah, yeah we all need a yeah. break. We all need help. Yeah, we yeah we, we all need help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was it was so different, and I continued therapy even after I gave birth because I I still had like a. Yeah, I still had postpartum depression at that time, but I, I was in therapy. I was, um, so I went to therapy and then even the pediatrician, she would still do kind of a therapy session for me when I brought the baby. She would check in with me and then, you know, and uh, they would even call me at home just to check in. And so it was really nice. You know, it was, it was, uh, I was more grounded, more um, available, emotionally available, because sometimes when it's like that, we mothers, when we're in so much turmoil, we dissociate, we are not there. So you, you're there with your child, but you're not there. So you don't really connect. You don't even realize you don't really connect with your child properly. So it's important to ask for help yeah. because actually we cannot help anybody. You cannot even help your child if, you, you, if, if you're, you not okay. said you're not okay. Yeah. So, so true. it's important to ask for help. So, But I would say parenthood motherhood has been a blessing in my life because i didn't even know i would one day have a family so i'm just so happy <laughs> about it must that be a blessing to have your own yeah. family now and be able to give your children everything that you didn't have as a child yeah. growing up yeah 
Yeah. And so after the initial um, fears, total fear of, of failing my children, now I'm at a state where, where I know I want to create different, but I don't know what different is. So I'm learning. I'm letting them guide me too. Children can be good. They, they will teach you how to love them. My, all my kids, they're all different. They have different personalities, you know. So if you, but if you're in tune, you, you listen, you watch, they will show you what they want, how they want to be loved. And so I'm learning from them a lot. I love I'm that. therapy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're a, you're a big advocate for therapy then. I, I stole this yes. from my friend, which yes. I say all the time now, that therapy is cardio for the mind. Oh, yes. Yes, I'm a big advocate for therapy because, you know, the World Health Organization says there's no health without mental health, you know, especially for us. I think a woman who takes care of her mental health not only uh, does a service to herself, but does a service to her family, her children, her spouse, you know, but mostly to herself because we women, we carry so much, we do so much on a daily. Mm -hmm. It's important we take care of ourselves. I have a practice now, like I wake up, I meditate, I journal, you know, I, and right now I'm taking a, a course, a, an eight week, like group course where I'm learning skills. So it's meditation, like movement, you know, movement meditation. So every Monday I sit with, uh, in a, in a group with, uh, I don't know, I think we are 10 with a facilitator and uh, she, she facilitates a discussion and we learn skills on how to manage our emotions on a daily, not let stress overwhelm us. So I'm always learning these things. And this is what I also want. I want to coach women on because I've learned so much about how trauma influences the relationships we go into. You know, the men we date, the way we let people treat us, the way we can be in a relationship and we are badly treated and we don't leave. We don't speak up and you're accepted. Yeah, because you think this is normal. Yeah. Because actually, the brain knows that situation. It comes from childhood. There's, there's a situation like that in childhood. So we think that's what we deserve. And we don't know that we deserve to live in a, in a, with a partner who respects us, who loves us, who supports us, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so these are things I want to share with as many women as possible because I just feel as if growing up as Africans, we were not taught anything about our emotions. how to manage emotions nothing you know and we have all the academics academics but life is about how you also feel right relationships and how you feel relationships those relationships and how you feel about yourself yeah so um i'm a big advocate for like teaching kids to how to manage their emotions you know i'm always like buying books that like it's age adapted it's fun but you learn how like you learn some skills like the yoga you can do kids yoga on youtube you, can do, you know we have fun but you know it's a way of learning to to you know manage your body stretch your body so that you don't accumulate stress in your body and things like that so i just like want to teach them through fun painting and stuff how to manage their emotions and because it's very important when then because otherwise you're suffering you're there you're pretending you're okay and that's what I did for many years and you're suffering suffering you know yeah that's my message thank you so much I can't stop saying thank you thank you so much Miriam for (laughs) this story so powerful 
so phenomenal. You're such an inspiration to me and to everyone who's going to listen to this, I'm sure, and to the people in your circle. Your story gives hope. It gives a lot of hope to know that you can walk through the worst of times and still come out with your head held high and still make it through in life regardless. So thank you for sharing your story. You mentioned you had a podcast. Can you um, repeat again the name of the podcast and where people can find information about you? Yes. So I have a website, uh, miriamjoku.com, where um, uh, I offer my coaching services for trauma recovery. So I'm a trauma recovery coach. And so the podcast is Free Your People, freeyourpeople.net. Or if you go on all the podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you'll find the Free Your People there. And um, we're also on Instagram. So if you type me underscore Miriam Joku, you'll find me on Instagram or Free Your People, you'll find it. you find the podcast too on, the, on Instagram. Yeah, so that's that's been my story. I hope it helps someone. I'm just happy that I can share it out loud. I just hope I don't traumatize anyone because I was in a room on, on Clubhouse and they were like, oh, if you want to share your story where there's pain, you have to start with the good part and then the difficult part and then the good part. And then I was like, hmm, how am I going to do? Because for me, it started really rough. <laughs> so, where, 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 so how? No, so we put trigger warnings, um, trigger yeah. warnings do that and i i just believe that life is riddled with the good and the bad and yeah, yeah we can take breaths deep breaths we can you know yeah. if we get triggered take some time out and calm yourself down yeah. but i think it's really important that people yeah. hear this especially as adults that we hear true stories yes I as traumatic as they may be mm. but they are allow- from us Exactly. communities we don't tell stories exactly everyone looks all put together but none of us look like what we've been through so i'm going to share this in all of its authenticity because i think that one person needs to hear it and for Mm -hmm. that one person whoever they may be and wherever they may be i think it's important that we that we share the story as thank thank you for doing this work Thank you. Thank you. And I'm gonna I work with a lot of women that deal with a lot of trauma. So I will I will point them your way as well because we need we need so many more trauma coaches. We need yes. so many authentic voices of women who can hold another woman's hand and say, you know what, I walked through it, I was okay, yeah. and I know you'll be okay as well. Yes, it's very important. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. <laughs> Take care thank and you, God bless. You. you too. Take care.